for fireflies. Captivated, she just has to chase them, the glow of their light. And this reminds me of the believer's pursuit of God. Scriptures are infused with terrific examples of holy men and women who desired God. Whether reading the psalmic cries of David, who was flawed to the core, or Esther, who appealed to God for strength, or Paul, whose burning desire was that he might know Christ. Each of them mourned for him, praying and wrestling and reaching out for him. They were captivated, like the men and women of old, and like the child who chases the light of the fireflies. May we open our hearts, may we open our hands, and in this moment give sufficient attention to the one called the light of the world, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone. May we reach for it, desire it, and chase that light. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. How many of you have ever chased fireflies as a kid or lightning bugs? How many of you call them lightning bugs? How many call them fireflies? Yeah, we always call them lightning bugs. And I don't know, I sure I really shouldn't admit this, but we did some really cruel things with lightning bugs. How many of you ever made a lightning bug ring? Let me see your hands, yeah. Isn't that terrible when you think about it? That lightning bug, that was a bad day for the bug, so. In this journey through the book of Proverbs, each chapter has a series of thoughts that are at first reading, seemingly independent. But I think there are a number of ways that every chapter can be organized. If you take the example of the string of pearls, there are a lot of ways you can examine and organize pearls. None of them are right or wrong, it's just different ways. You can organize them by age. You can organize them from origin, the place of origin, by size, by color a number of ways by use that they could be organized. And so in chapter 21, it's a unique chapter, and as I spent time reading it again and again and again, I felt like there was a verse that everything else in that chapter could attach to. Now, you might find a different verse, uh, but you're not up here this morning. So um, we're going to wrap some thoughts around this idea of what are you chasing. Every one of us are pursuing something and what you pursue will determine what you find. <laughs> I said, <laughs> what you pursue will determine what you find. Now I understand those serendipitous moments where you're looking for one thing and you find something else. I get that, that happens. But no one ever starts out to find something they're not looking for. That's not the way it begins. You're pursuing something, chasing something, looking for something. And that will determine where you end up. And chapter 21 talks about that pursuit. He who pursues righteousness and love 
finds life, prosperity, and honor. What you pursue will determine what you discover, what you find, what you possess. I read a question from Family Feud that said, dogs chase cars, what do people chase? And the top six answers were ambulances. If that's you, stop it. People or kids, how many of the kids know that's true? Buses, money, pets, and dreams. So the American psyche says those are the top six things that people chase or pursue. I read an article this week by a woman whose name is Dr. Michelle Millis Chappelle, and she's a psychologist who became a professor who then became a rock musician. Now that's quite a combination on your resume of psychologist, professor, rock musician. And she claims that she's helped thousands of people find their hidden superpowers and their true calling. She also leads innovative research for companies like Google, Yahoo, eBay, and AT&T. And she's written a book called You're a Total Rockstar that'll come out in 2023. So she's all about your pursuit, what you're chasing, what you're looking for. And she's written an article titled 14 Things You Should Give Up Chasing No Matter What Others Say. 14 things. I found the article pretty fascinating, and I want to share those 14 with you. It'll be just a quick list. I could pontificate on all of them, but I'll try to refrain from doing that. Here's what she says you should stop pursuing. Number one is the dream. People spend so much time pursuing their dream that they miss what's happening in the moment. Quit pursuing security, money, material things, work, outer beauty, youth, approval, love, people, the latest trend, happiness, what's possible, and the path to success. She says that pursuing those things will put you on a journey that will keep you from experiencing the best that you can have today. Well, as I thought about that, I think there are a lot of things that we pursue. And you say, well, pastor, I'm not pursuing anything. I'm just sitting back in my recliner, sipping my iced tea and letting the world go by. Then you're pursuing isolation. Everybody is pursuing something. There's something that you're following after. And Solomon says that we need to be careful what that is. He went on a journey to find all of the things in life that are wonderful and good and fun. And when he was done, he characterized it this way, that it's a chasing after the wind. It's vanity, all is vanity, that his pursuit of carnal pleasure led him to a place of empty experiences. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, what are you chasing? What are you pursuing? As a child of God, as a human being on planet Earth, what is it that you want to catch? What are you trying to pursue? So verse 21 tells us what we should pursue. And I think if we take a little bit of time to settle down into that, it might cause us to think a little bit differently. What does it mean, first of all, to pursue anything? Um, verse 21 again, he who pursues righteousness, what does it mean, and love, what does it mean to pursue? Well, it's a strong Hebrew word that means to chase, hunt, or to run after usually with hostile intent, hostile intent. And this word is most often used 
to describe persecuting something. So imagine this whole act of persecution. What does someone do when they want to persecute someone? Well, I think I might persecute someone today and just kind of take your time and muddle through it. Not at all. Do you know in the book of Acts, Saul, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church, persecuted it with intent, and people were put to death. You can look at our own history in religious a persecution that happens all over the world today and what ungodly dictators have done to pursue. Persecution isn't a passive event. The word describes someone who passionately, forcefully, and with intent is after something. And then that also applies in a good sense with that same passion after a good thing. So he's saying to us that your life needs to be marked by a passionate pursuit of something, to give up on the passive kind of hoping that I will please God and to engage in a passionate pursuit of what you want to find. What do you want to find? Well, I want to find heaven. Then passionately pursue it. I want to see more of the power of God released in my life. Then passionately pursue it. You're not going to find what you want spiritually if you don't engage the process. How many are hearing me this morning? A passionate pursuit of something. What is it you want to find? Some examples of that word being used in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 14 The Egyptians pursued Israel. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army overtook them. Now think about what that word looks like in this context. Israel is leaving Egypt and Pharaoh says, bring them back. And how does Pharaoh pursue them? He pursues them with his army, with the horses, with the chariots. And they overtake them. And they didn't overtake them by saying, oh, we'll get there sometime. We'll give it a try. He released an army with force to pursue and overtake them. That's what the word means. In Leviticus chapter 26, it says, five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will put 10,000 to flight. That word chase has that same idea. You get in the picture. This is not a passive approach. It is a purposeful, intentional pursuit. Then the last one I'll use to illustrate that is 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 21. The Bible says that Gehazi followed after Naaman. Now he's doing it for a wrong purpose, but as a servant of Elisha, he is following after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down out of the chariot to meet him. Now picture that. Naaman's in a chariot. Chariots move faster than people. And Naaman wants to, or I'm sorry, Gehazi wants to catch up with Naaman. He's not going to do a Sunday afternoon stroll in the moonlight down by the lake. He is running with everything he has and doing it with such passion that Naaman sees him and stops the chariot. So my challenge to you, church, is if we want to find something, it's time for us to rise up, according to Solomon, and Quit chasing the wind, quit chasing empty pursuits, and put your passion toward pursuing something that, that matters, that will change your life. Come on, help me this morning. How many are hearing what I'm saying? It's more than just kind of following after. So what should we pursue? 
He says to pursue righteousness. <laughs> now, I could do a whole series on what the Bible says about righteousness. We could go from Genesis to Revelation and understand that righteousness is that which is right in the sight of God. But I thought it'd be better for us to spend a little bit of time in this chapter and see what verses might connect to that idea of the pursuit of righteousness and to remind you that that carries over into the New Testament. When Jesus talked about all the things that concern us, our clothes, our money, our abode, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the picture is, if you want to find the blessing of God, then the concept of pursuing passionately righteousness carries over into the New Testament as well. We should be people that pursue righteousness. Now that word has more to do with justice than it does with our spiritual lives. I could talk about all the things that are important righteously in your spiritual development. But what Solomon is talking about is we should make a difference in the world around us and pursue justice. Would be as good a word to use there as anything. People of God are offended when they see injustice in this world. Racism is an abomination to Christians who are passionately pursuing justice. The abuse of the poor is abhorrent to Christians who are passionately pursuing justice. You say, well, you sound political. No, I'm telling you, there are some things that are right and there's some things that are wrong. And if you're a child of God pursuing righteousness, things that are wrong will cause you to respond. When the evil get away with evil, that should cause us to have a reaction. In other words, it's not just about a soft, warm, fuzzy, mushy gospel message where everybody's your friend and everyone's happy. There are some things that are wrong in this world and those that are pursuing Christ will stand up and say, we will not tolerate injustice in the influence that we're in. The abuse of government should cause us to react. You say, you're sounding political. No, I'm sounding biblical because this word describes living justly and by righteous acts. In verse 15 of this chapter, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. That's part of our calling. I know we're to love the lost, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but there's a place for us to say, we're gonna stand up and support the prosecution of injustice. So when we talk about turning the other cheek, pastor, shouldn't we turn the other cheek? If government does what it is supposed to do, the church can do what it's supposed to do. As an individual, you're to forgive and turn the other cheek. But what is government supposed to do? Romans makes that very clear. Do you know why government exists in the eyes of God? To be a terror to the evildoer. That punishment needs to be executed against evil. And then when that happens, that the righteous deeds of people will be celebrated. The unrighteous deeds of a culture will be abused. Solomon says, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. 
So I'm trying to say to you this morning that the pursuit of righteousness is not passive. It's not one where we sit back and say, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. That we have a responsibility to address injustice as it happens in our world. You say, well, is that a New Testament principle? I'm so glad you asked. Because if you go to James chapter 5, which is the book about practical Christian living, listen to what James says as an expression of our faith. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have heard, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, and here's the point. Here's what he's saying to believers about justice and righteous living. You have failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields, who are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So you see in James that what Solomon says carries over into the New Testament, that it's not enough to profess your faith in Christ if you're not acting justly in a secular world system where you're engaged in business and with people and with commerce and with other economic factors that they all affect the Christian life. The most diligent employee should be the believer. The one who first cries out against injustice should be the believer. Is anyone hearing me this morning? That we need to passionately pursue righteousness in acts of justice in our world. Solomon's challenging us to that passionate pursuit. However, for the believer... What seems right to us isn't always righteous. Come on. What seems right to us isn't always righteous. Verses 2 and 3 say, All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. That, that, is, that is a phenomenon. That is a... That's a controversial, that's a, that's a heart-stopping statement for Solomon to make. The entire worship system of Israel was based on what? On sacrifice. Everything wrapped around that, but they understood in Old Testament worship that the sacrifices weren't the substance, that the sacrifices were to point to the substance. David cries out in the Psalms that that burnt offering and sin offering you did not require, or I would have given it, but a broken and contrite heart you did not despise. And Solomon's saying there is something more important than all of our sacrifices and our expressions of worship. What is that? To do what is right. To do what is right. All, the man, all of a man's ways seem right to him. I had someone tell me a number of years ago that no one ever sins. Because we justify it and make it right before we do it. Most people don't intentionally set out to do wrong unless you're a psychopath. 
We find a way to justify it and make it right before we do it. All of a man's ways seem right to him. I'll never forget a lady who came to talk to me, pastoring, um, I'm, I'm relatively sure my memory is getting foggy, but I'm 90% sure as well as pastoring in, in old wine because that's where all the weird things happened. <laughs> and a lady came up to me and she said, God uses me in gift of tongues. Can I be used in that gift here in the church? And I said, are you living for Jesus? And she said, no. <laughs> and I said, no. And she said, no. And I knew she'd had several affairs. She was known in town as a woman of ill repute. And I said, how do you justify your profession of gifts with your immoral lifestyle? And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, when I leave my house and I'm going to a man's place, I always pray, God, if you don't want me to go there, then intervene and stop me. Do you know what just happened? She justified it so that it was God's fault. All of a man's ways are righteous in his eyes. I enjoy comedy and I was listening to a secular comedian, and how many know that can be dangerous? But he was talking about the impact of an affair, and this was a, from a secular perspective. Listen to this. This was just this week, listening, and I thought, what? He said, when your girlfriend or your spouse or whoever it is commits an affair, the response is commonly this. It was just once, it was just one mistake. And he said, the comedian said, no. It's a series of 50 mistakes to get there. Come on, help me now. We're masters at justifying what is right. It's someone else's fault. It's God's fault. It's, it's circumstantial. No, the Lord tries the heart. That's why Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they'll be red like crimson, they'll be white as wool. The picture there is, you don't know what is right and wrong because you're the kind of people, we're all the kind of people that will do like Lucifer did in heaven and as he did in the garden that will find a way to justify it. Just because it seems right to you doesn't make it righteous. You need to confer with God and his word. Is there anybody in the house this morning? And second, loving something doesn't make it righteous. Hello? Just because you love something and want something doesn't make it right. Verses 16 and 17. A man who strays from the path of understanding comes to rest in the company of the dead. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. And it's a symbolism of debauchery and, and, and um, over-celebrating carnal delights or pursuits. But I love it. It feels so good. So just because it seems right to you doesn't make it righteous. And just because you love it doesn't make it righteous. <laughs> What's the answer? 
is bringing it to Jesus, talking to him. And he gives us an example of where righteousness can show itself. Do you know where you can test if you're walking justly? It's an interesting test in this chapter as you begin to tie the thoughts together. So if you love it, does it make it righteous? And if you um, 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 think it's right, does it make it righteous? What will the righteous be living by in Proverbs 21? It's not the only test, but it's a positive one. It's generosity. Is your, mark, is your life marked by generosity? Look at 25 and 26. The sluggard's cravings will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Wow. I'd like to hand that out on street corners. Well, you're kind of a hard nose. No, I'm not. I just think that what's right's right and what's wrong's wrong. <laughs> if some of those people would work as hard as a job as they do on that street corner, they'd make a living. I'm just telling you. <laughs> How I wish we weren't in Proverbs. <laughs> the sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. One of the marks of the Spirit of God at work in your life is you have a generous heart. And that doesn't mean you're given to the street corner guy or the lady or whatever method they're using, but that you care about the work of God. You care about people who are in need, that you want to do things to bless the lives of others because that's contrary to us, to be a blessing to people. So he's building this story or this paradigm in chapter 21 that we need to pursue righteousness. Are we chasing after things that are just? Are we pursuing justice and righteous acts? And the ramifications of that is how it plays out in the world that we live in. And there are many other verses in this chapter that apply here. Righteousness is what's lived out day by day. And I'm, I'm, I'm listen, I just have to say this. I know that there are people who want to stir the pot and make sure that everybody still hates everybody. And today, racism is one of those tools. Okay, how many are hearing what I'm saying? But that doesn't mean racism doesn't exist. And it doesn't mean that we should stand by and not be the first to speak out against it. Oppression of the poor, yes. There are people who have chosen to live a lifestyle at the expense of others. And we shouldn't um, prop that up. But when injustice has put a person in a position where they can't provide for themselves, our first response to that should be generosity. Let's love them, let's come alongside them. Because what we should pursue is justice on this planet. We should be people of justice. That's what the word means. All right, well, that was so much fun. What else should we pursue? Not just justice, just acts, but the believers should also pursue love. The idea of love in the New Testament is clearly defined. We have agape, divine love. 
phileo, the love of the brethren, storge, the love of family, and eros, the love, the intimacy between a man and a woman, clearly defined in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, the words for love have many other nuanced ways of being expressed. The Hebrew word for love here is um, chesed, which means mercy and kindness. And the picture is loving people being kind. My wife says regularly, it's never. How many are with me? The word never got your attention. It's never okay to be rude. That doesn't mean you can't be firm. But kindness should mark. We should be kind people. (laughs) This is going worse than I imagined. We should be kind people. Now, there are times that you have to dig your heel in. And the balance here, do you see that? We are going to demand justice, but we're not going to get mean about it. We're going to stand for truth, but we're still going to be kind. That in our righteousness, let's not become mean, hateful people that are protesting on every corner about everything we hate we're against. We should be known for our just living and our kindness of lifestyle that we're kind to people. The Bible says in verse 13 of this chapter, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. There are people that need help, that need our support. And by the way, let me just give you a little example here how that should function. Many believers think that kindness is seeing a need and asking the church to do something about it. You know what kindness is? You see a need and you're the first to respond. And when your resources can't get there, then you ask for help because you've entered into an accountable relationship with someone and you followed it all the way through and you're ready for the church to come alongside because it's not something that begins with a corporate response. It begins with an individual action. Kindness toward the poor. And I hate to read these verses, kind of. But this kind of kindness and love needs to be demonstrated in our homes. Verse 9, I feel like I need to have my bulletproof vest on. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Please do not say amen or act as though you even heard what I just said. But you know it's true. It's also true to say, better to live in the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome husband. They're both true. He's making an comparison. Better to live in the corner of a house. Verse 19. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. They're both in that same chapter. (laughs) I I think Solomon had had a rough day with his 
wives and concubines. So the idea is that we can love the wrong things, we can express it wrong, but it needs to be expressed to people that don't deserve it. And it certainly needs to be expressed in our family. And you know that we tend to be the least kind to the people we know the best because we assume they will forgive us. If you are more kind to your neighbor than you are to your spouse, you need to repent. Okay. <laughs> Thought somebody'd say, man. So are we chasing biblical kindness, biblical love? I have a story I came across. How many think it's time for story time with Pastor Gary? Let's shift this a little bit. But the, the, this whole concept of love and kindness and, and mercy giving. I've held on to this for a while because it made such an impact on me. It's about an Iowa farmer shared by a man named Jeff Ditzenberger. And this farmer writes about a day that he will not forget. He was combining and saw a car drive by a couple times slowly, and then it stopped. And he wondered, oh, they're having car trouble. So he stops the combine, he gets out, climbs a fence, jumps over, and goes to talk to them. Are you doing okay? And I'm surprised how many people are fascinated by what happens on the farm. And I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in Cedar Rapids, but I had never actually been in a combine or watched it up close until I was pastoring in old wine. And I found out that not all farmers are compassionate. I learned some things. One of the farmers in the church called me and he said, uh, it was harvest time and everything's about the harvest and you go day and night. And he called me and said, would you come out and ride with me? It was Sunday night. It was about midnight or 11 when he called. I'm just really tired, someone to ride with me. And I said, sure, I wanted to experience that. And I drove out to the farm, got in the combine and he's driving along, has a hot cup of coffee with no lid on it. We come to the end row, end of the row. Will you hold this while I turn my combine? Have you ever been in a combine while it goes over the end of the rows? It bounces like a wild bronco. And he's having me hold that without the lid. And I have no idea what's coming. And that big machine is bouncing and coffee's flying all over me. He laughed and he said, that's all I needed. People are fascinated. My wife had a family member that came from California, stopped by a farm side, uh, a cornfield, and had someone take his picture to show his friends back in California what corn looked like. Fascination. And this family said, Grandpa and Grandma, two boys and a girl, the kids wanted to see a farm, and we just wanted to watch you go. And the farmer said, Well, would the would they like to have a ride? We're right here. I'd, I'd be said, no, you're too busy to do that. And he said, I'm not too busy. Do they want a ride? And the boy said, can we, Grandma? And he noticed a nine-year-old girl standing there with them, the youngest of the three, and she kept turning her head away and, and wouldn't respond. And he said to her, do you want to come ride too? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. And so finally he said, all right. And the boys climbed up and they went down the row and back and they got out. But while they're in the combine, the grandpa farmer said, why didn't your sister want to ride? And they said, well, she's pretty shy. She has a large birthmark on her face. And people make fun of her. 
And so there's not much that she does. Um, she's just kind of shy. So he took that as a project and let them out. And he walked over to the little girl and said, would you like to ride in the combine too? And she said, no. And he said, well, why not? He said, well, she said, well, because my brother said that that kind of stuff is just for boys, not for girls. <laughs> he laughed and he said, you know, there are girl farmers too. And I even had a young girl in the cab just yesterday. Would you like a ride? She looked at her grandma and finally the grandma said, go ahead if you want to. So they get in the cab. Now watch this. I turned the machine around and went back into the field. And at the end of it, came back facing the grandparents. And I said to her, do you want to steer the combine? She was hesitant, but I finally convinced her to steer the combine. And I told her, not everybody gets to do this, but people who are part of the special face club definitely get to do this but it's a secret reason why you get to drive and you can't tell anyone and you need to make a pinky promise so she did she got out so excited became a chatterbox the grandparents said we have never seen her smile that big and the boys looked at her and said how come you got to drive it and we didn't get to and she said because girls can be farmers too The grandpa came over, put his hand on his shoulder and shook his hand. And he said, I don't know what you said to her, but we've never seen her this happy. Do you know what that is? It's kindness that somebody heard more than what was being said and decided to express that. And I don't know if this farmer was a believer or not, but I'm telling you that's what should mark the lives of believers, that we ought to hear the voice of God and there'll be supernatural moments when he'll say, this is your moment, walk into it and be the kindness of God to this person that's hurting and suffering and in pain. Because while we're pursuing justice, let us also pursue kindness in our expressions to one another. And if we do that, what will happen? We'll find life. When you pursue justice and kindness, you'll find life. The word means, it speaks of vegetation, of flowing, fresh water, lively or active of people, reviving of the springtime, green of vegetation. It's used 152 times in the Old Testament and you can't help but think about Psalm chapter one and this idea of you'll receive life if you pursue righteousness and kindness or love, you will receive life. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight will be in the law of the Lord and his law will be uh, meditate day and night and he will be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper that if you want that kind of green flowing lush life you can have it you can have it if you pursue righteousness and love your life 
will take on a freshness, a newness, a joy, a vibrancy. In the Bible, the word is used in Genesis to describe the breath of life. In Proverbs chapter 3, it's used to describe wisdom as a tree of life. In Proverbs chapter 4, it says the word is life to those who find it and health to their flesh. That same word is used there. You'll be as vibrant as God's tree of life if you pursue justice and kindness. What else will you find? It's interesting that the NIV says you'll find prosperity. But I dug a little deeper into that and it doesn't, it's the same word as pursuing righteousness. You'll receive righteousness, the exact same Hebrew word. And I thought, well, why did they change that? And what I discovered is that English translators are abhorrent to repeating a word in the same sentence. And so they went to find another word, and if you go to the Hebrew lexicon and go to the bottom, and they're listed in application or use, that the last definition of the word can be prosperity, and because they didn't like the repetition, put it up to the top. And I think that's foolish. I think the Hebrew writer intended to say, if you pursue justice, you'll receive justice. If you pursue righteousness, you receive righteousness. Does that always happen? No, but in the end of time it will. You can't expect for people to treat you justly if you're a cheat. You can't expect people to trust you if you're a liar. You can't expect people to be just toward you when you're unjust to, unjust to others. He's saying simply, if you want justice and kindness, if you want righteousness and love, then you need to pursue life and you need to pursue, I mean, you, you'll receive life and you'll receive righteousness if your life is marked by pursuing it. Be kind and you'll reap kindness. Be just and you'll reap justice. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And if you're mad at everybody, don't be surprised that people are going to be mad at you. If you're cheating people, don't be surprised when they cheat you. When you're rude to people, don't be surprised when they're rude to you. You asked for it, you sowed it, and now it's your harvest. But if you sow righteousness, justice, and kindness, you'll reap life, and you'll reap righteousness in return. What else will you find? You'll find life, you'll find righteousness, and you'll find honor. It's a really an important word in scripture. It speaks of abundance, riches, splendor, dignity, reputation, and glory. It's the same word that's used for the glory of God. And we know it's wrong to seek our own glory. In verse 27 of this chapter, it's not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honorable to seek one's own honor. That's self-serving and self-gratifying, and that's not healthy. And so if you want honor and favor that comes from God, you can have it. You can have a flourishing, abundant life. You can have justice being returned to you. You can feel the honor and favor of God. How? When you pursue justice and kindness you'll reap an abundant harvest god's favor abides on those who pursue the right things so pastor nathan if you'd come the question i want to ask you is simple 
What are you chasing? You're chasing something. What are you pursuing? What is it that matters to you? What are you hungry for? <laughs> and we need to be honest about that. <laughs> I can't pursue weight loss by eating a whole pecan pie. Hello? I can pray over that pie all I want, but I'm going to reap a harvest from it. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you're doing. What are you pursuing? What are you chasing after? What are you hungry for? You say, well, I'm not chasing anything. Then you're chasing isolation. You're chasing mediocrity and brokenness. But there ought to be something in the child of God that's passionate. Do you know when we come to the house of God to worship him? God, do something if you want me to. I remember a day when we celebrated when God knocked people down. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We call it slain in the spirit. I never wanted to be slain. And I'm not against that overwhelming sense of God's power. But what happened if we're passionate about a presence of God around us that made us righteous while it made us kind? I want that. It'll make a difference. In this world that we're living in, you know that those who stand for righteousness are marked as incredibly mean. And those that are marked as kind are extremely anti-God. Let's bring those back together. Justice and kindness. And reap life, justice, and honor. Would you stand with me? And let God speak to you. Does there need to be a fire rekindled in you to be hungry for what God has for you? close to you Never let me go I lay it all down again To hear you say that I'm my desire no one else will do there's nothing else can take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace find the way bring me back to you oh your own your own I've ever needed your own 
help me know you I need your all I want you Jesus, would you kindle a fire in us? Would you make us passionate people of justice and passionate people of kindness? Help us make a difference in this world as profoundly as an Iowa farmer made in a little girl's life. Help us stand for justice and kindness. Put a passion inside of us that we can honor you. And everyone that loves him said, amen, amen. If you love him, let me hear your hands this morning. So glad you're here this morning. A couple of things just to make you aware of. First, I wanna say thank you for your financial giving, how important that is. Your faithfulness and kindness are very much appreciated. We're still looking for connect group leaders. We desperately need some more connect group leaders. Please sign up for that. And ladies have a ladies night out coming up and you can sign up for that. Ladies, you can sign up for that. Guys, you can't, but you can go to McDonald's or something else at night, but uh, sign up for those and let's be a part. And as you leave today, turn and greet someone and be kind to them in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you.